There we go. I hit the record button this time. Yes. Oh, you're in for a treat today. Oh, good God. This is like take four. Hi. Welcome to another glorious episode. After seven months, another overdue episode. This is episode 111 of the Escaping the Cave podcast. The Tonzilla X-Pod is what it started out to be called years ago. Back in the early days of the podcasting thing, I was the Tonzilla X-Pod, and then I evolved. Now I'm recording a podcast once every seven months. Hi, I am Todd, still. I've got a new piece of equipment in here. New board. If you're on the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see that. More on that in a second. Uh, so I'm a little, little off kilter. Not only have I not recorded in seven months, I've got all this new stuff. I've got three cameras running for the YouTube thing because the YouTube thing is cool. Yeah, the kids love it. That's what they tell me. But I've got a brand new board, and <laughs> I forgot to start it. I, I, I went about 10 minutes into this damn thing, and it was, it was going pretty well. And I looked down, and the little record button was green and not red like it's supposed to be. Well, that pissed me off. Well, and that was the third take. <laughs> oh. This may start a little rough. I apologize. If you'd like your money back... Shoot my customer service department an email. We'll be happy to refund the money you paid for your podcast today. Anyway, this is episode number 111. Can you believe that? 111 episodes, 111 glorious pieces of audio masterpieces. That's what these things are. Audio glory in three channels. But the first one since, uh, yeah, December the 29th when Corey sat in with me. Had a pretty good episode. More on that. More on that's coming. I'm going to explain what happened and let me give you a pretty good idea anyway. I'm not going to explain everything. Got to leave some mystery in there. Want to do a little housekeeping though. This is the Escaping the Cave podcast. It is August the 8th of 2022. How? I don't know. Boy, it was just March. <laughs> I have some other things going on. I have not podcast, but... I have been productive, sort of. Uh, the YouTube channel still there, Tonzilla X. The Substack channel page still there, Tonzilla X at Substack. Go check that out if you like. And I have a brand new podcast out there. Ha ha ha! Now wait a minute. It's not a new podcast. It's not me doing you know more original material like I did that baseball podcast a few years ago. Nah, not that. This is the old material, the old escaping the cave material, chopped up into what I've called, very cleverly, I might add, micropods. Not about calling them microtods, but no, that's, that's gay. Uh, micropods. It's the Escaping the Cave Micropod podcast. Hosted at Substack. Love that place. I love that website. I love that platform. And what it is is basically smaller chunks of... All of the material that I've put out over the last few years. Just small, bite-sized chunks. I got this idea from a guy named Naval or Naval. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Naval, N-A-V-A-L. He's got a podcast just like this. And I love his stuff. 
a lot of the stuff that he puts out is just it's 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 short, it's direct, it's concise, it's the antithesis of your friendly neighborhood Toddzilla. <laughs> He's everything I wish I could be, but can't. But I found that his some of his podcasts, I, I I'm not kidding, they're like 30, 40 seconds long, a minute. But it's just the the nugget, the core of an idea of a conversation or a thought that he had had, and he just put it out there. And it's it was really cool to just let the podcast go. And you have all of these different things just sort of hitting you, taking you in different directions and getting to the point. I was really impressed by it. I liked it a lot. And I'm like, you know what? I said, Todd, that would be really cool. That would be a really good thing to do because a lot of my stuff gets long-winded. It's deep. It's thick. And maybe if I took some of the best stuff, distilled it, edited it really well down to the core, the core idea, and then put it on another one, maybe somebody else would like it. Uh, the way I liked his. So that's exactly what I did. Once again, it's the Escaping the Cave Micropod podcast. You'll it, you'll see it. It's everywhere now. It's been up for a couple of months. Not a lot there yet. Uh, I got started. I went gung-ho on it for a couple of days and then uh, went back to it for a day. Like, this is, the, you know, I'm having a hope crisis. I don't want to whine too much. I got it pretty good. Compared to a lot of people, this material, boy, I'll tell you, I I, I went running into this. Uh, I started in 2018, early 2018. My traveling had wrapped up and we were moving back to Michigan from Massachusetts. And I figured this was a good time to transition back into this and joined my my friend's podcasting network. He kind of lured me back there to uh, join up with him for a while. And I thought, okay, well, this would be great. And this is what I want to do because I've been learning all this stuff about propaganda, disinformation, the psychology of it. But at that point in time, I was just coming out of my little flirtation with wokedom. I've never, you know, I think I've given you the impression, if you are not familiar with me from maybe 10 years ago, I may maybe have given you the impression that I was a little more liberal than I really was. But I always hated hippies. I despised hippies. This has been a constant, a consistent thing. I was writing about how much I hated hippies. <laughs> 2008. I have the file still. I have the post anyway. Uh, but I was still, you know, a little bit off in that camp. And when I did this, now, liberals and people who are off in that direction, their beliefs, tend to have a very high opinion of humanity. People in general, like, they hate society. They think that everything that's wrong, everything that's going wrong with, with everything in the world is because of what society is doing to we noble, savage people. They think that if they can just get society out of the way, then we'll all just flourish and utopia will sprout from the ground or and out of our buttholes. That's what they think. And I used to believe that. Up until about 2010, there's a very specific thing that happened to me in late 2009. I've talked about this. I've alluded to it a million times called a Don Quixote. It's a little complex that I sort of came up with this idea that I thought was original to me. I, I, I thought I had discovered something neat. Of course, I didn't. Uh, post hoc rationalization, self-delusion, I have found in the last six months, my friends, I have found the Rosetta Stone, I think, that explains not only that, but everything else that I have been talking about. I think I got it. A happy ending is not on the way. I jumped forward as I was trying to jump back, but uh, back in... Uh, 2018, I was still kind of kind of hanging in there, hanging on to that a little bit. 
because I didn't want to let go of that in myself. I didn't want to believe that I was not one of these divine snowflakes clinging on to, you know, righteous reason. If I let go of that, then I have to look at myself. I have to, you know, sort of take myself out of the same category. And I think that's what's going on here. I think that's why a lot of liberals and a lot of young people particularly are susceptible to this religious-grade horseshit. It's because if they say that humanity is special and divine and all we got to do is just get all of these bad things away from us and we'll flourish what they're saying is, you're holding me down because I'm special and I'm divine. And if I could just get you off my back, I'll grow my angel wings and fly away. Has nothing to do with a noble savage. Noble savage and the, uh, the brotherhood of man and all this other stuff. No, it's basically a way to rationalize your own self-worship. But you can't say that I worship myself. You have to say you worship humanity. You worship everybody. We're all special creatures. And if we just get society away from us, oh, utopia will spring forth. Therefore, deep down inside, if I'm allowed to grow, I'm perfect. That's what a lot of that means. And I still had residue. I had shards of that, slivers of that still in my butt cheeks back in 2018. So... When I start investigating propaganda and I start sort of sniffing and, and trying to figure it out, trying to figure out what it is about it, why we are susceptible, because I thought if I could explain it, if I could figure it out and I could explain it to you and other people, then, hey, the reason machine would kick in, right? And once the reason machine kicks in, we're all Isaac Newton, right? <laughs> then we'd be able to figure it out and maybe see the world as it is come together and all that. Edward Bernays, the founder of the field of public relations, if you haven't heard the story, it's a real simple one. Propaganda, the word propaganda was destroyed by the Nazis and the United States using it on its own people. When people figured out what propaganda was after World War I and during World War I, the word propaganda became a bad word. It wasn't before that. But Bernays understood the power of it because he had seen the power of propaganda take an unwilling population in the United States and drag it w somehow willingly into World War I. He saw the power of it. I want to say his uncle was Sigmund Freud, who understood and had written about the group mind, the herd mentality. He had a background. He had people to talk to about this stuff. And he put out a whole field of study called Public Relations. Change the name. It's literally the same thing. Public relations and propaganda. If you think about it, just parse it. Public relations relating to the public. Well, what is propaganda? Spin. And I thought, in my silliness, maybe it was a collective arrogance. Maybe I had a, this arrogance about who we were as a species. But I thought, Edward Bernays was going to be the, the demon, the evil guy in this story because he's the man who came up with all this and unleashed it upon us. So that's where I came from. That's where I started 2018. Now, a lot of the stuff that I put out in 2018 about ideological religions and all this, it still stands up. It stands up really well. All of that stuff stands up beautifully except for the first few episodes <laughs> where I'm like, okay, well, all we got to do is figure it out. 
But then something, uh, I got a lot of my material from Jacques Ellul, the book Propaganda. It's still, as far as this stuff goes, as far as I'm concerned, it's still the best thing that I have ever read. And it's not even close. This is my Bible when it comes to, to a lot of this material because it branches off and it ties into other things that other people have put out. And it ties in perfectly, even though it was written in the mid-1960s, it ties into perfectly, it perfectly into uh, uh, everything that's going on right now. Jacques Ellul, E-L-L-U-L, Propaganda is the book. You should read it. But by the time I got into that, I started reading things like uh, the need for propaganda. I'm like, what? And something that he put out, that people need it. People come to depend on it. It's their worldview. It's their sense of identity. And people are confused when they get distraught. They need something to explain the world. This is not new. People have always been this way. And then I started remembering little things uh, that I read in other places. Talking about uh, cohesive narratives and foundational myths. How every nation has a founding myth. We have ours. Everybody has their own foundational myth. Putting their country at the center of the universe. That's the cohesive narrative. That's the story that binds a people together under, I don't know, a symbol of a flag. That's what makes you an American, a German, a Swede. It's a cohesive narrative. Every group's got it. When I started figuring this out, I got really uncomfortable. And there's a couple of episodes, a couple of moments in a couple of episodes where I started to sense that I needed to back off. And I, I made comments on here. I'm like, I'm not like, I don't think that, oh boy, if this is true... And this isn't going to be uh, the happy ending, the happy story that I thought it was going to be. And as I move forward, uh, that's exactly <laughs> where it took me. And I didn't know really what to do with it. I wanted to keep studying it. I wanted to keep investigating. I definitely wanted to keep talking about it because I do think that there is value in awareness. If you can see it. And you can understand what's happening. Like one thing that comes to mind is I keep talking about how it's easy to see the other person's propaganda. It's easy to see the other team's bullshit. I mean, we're really good at that. Uh, sniffing out other people's BS. But we cannot sniff out our own teams. And you see that on display all the time when you, uh, you put a liberal in front of Fox News. Or you put a Trump bot in front of MSNBC or CNN. They cannot watch it. There's a reason for that. Because they're able to detect the bullshit. They're able to, to instantaneously detect the bullshit. It's not their story. It's not their cohesive narrative. It's almost like an allergic reaction. It's like the anti-story. And that's, that, that's universal. We just can't see our own teams. And so that's what we have. That's, that's, the, that's the nexus. The origination of the echo chambers. There's a reason for that. I mean, I, I don't know how many people that I've heard over the last year or two who have just lamented the fact that we are two tribes and we are, you know, in our own informational silos and not talking to each other. And they're, when are we going to come together? When are we going to get through all of this tribalism and finally become one people again? I don't know if I said it in this show or I said it in the last one that I had to recut. <laughs> but I think I found the Rosetta Stone here. 
I think in the last six months, I think I have finally gotten my head around this, and I think I understand it. I think I understand exactly what propaganda is. I think I understand exactly why it is that we're so awash in it, unable to see it. I think I understand why we're not able to see reality for what it is. Maybe we're unwilling. Maybe we're unable. Does it really matter? At the end, as I invoke Lipman, people who cannot tell truth from falsehood do not remain free. The why is irrelevant. Because if you can't tell the truth from falsehood, you're either going to end up in chains, cracked down because of some sort of some state of anarchy, informational anarchy leading to the other kind, or you're going to be duped. You're going to be led like the Pied Piper. So I think I, I think I have it. I think I have it. I think there is value. You know, there is value in understanding it. There's value in being able to detect it because then, you know, maybe maybe if you're one of the rare people who can maybe detach themselves a little bit, maybe you can figure out a way to keep you or someone you know away from the stuff. Maybe even just plant seeds. But if you think there's a cure, if you think that I have it or somebody else has the cure and the panacea, the elixir that's going to put Humpty Dumpty, the, the star-spangled Humpty Dumpty, back together again. Don't delude yourselves. People don't want that. We are tribal by nature. We've always been that way. Now, this is, uh, you know, where, depending upon your theological beliefs, your philosophical beliefs, where you and I may diverge a little bit, but it doesn't really change the facts of the matter. Human evolution has made us tribal by nature. We want to congregate with people who think like us, people who look like us, and people who will advocate for us. Those are the people we want to surround ourselves with. We want to surround ourselves with people who like us, people who will pull for us, people that have our backs. It took me a long time to accept this because, boy, I remember this episode. I've talked about this way too much. But in 2014, I detected something. I found something. I was one of the first people that I know of, at least my, my little uh, sphere of influence and friends and all that, who saw what was going on with social media, with the disinformation. Something happened, and I've heard other people say this. The year 2014 was a big year. Something happened. Something changed, and I saw it. I saw it and I said, we are officially tribalized, as if it's a bad thing. And depending on how you look at it, maybe it is. Or maybe it's become that way. You have to, I know this is going to, this is going to horrify a lot of you. But you have to consider if you're really, really on a quest for the truth and not just having your thumb in your butt with beliefs, you have to consider that a tribalized species trying to exist as a, a diverse nation of 330 million people of countless races, creeds, and everything, maybe that's not ever going to work. I know I know a lot of you, oh my God, oh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ah! <laughs> but maybe it doesn't work. If we like to congregate and tribalize ourselves around like people, Maybe the idea of a diverse nation is bound and doomed to combust. 
Get the the implanted and you know inseminated shoulds out of your head. Now, like diversity is our strength. Really, is it? I you know I I don't see any evidence of that. Diversity, triggered by the original sin of this country, seems to be its Achilles' heel. It seems to be the fuse which, when lit, wants to blow it to shreds. That's not an American thing. That's a that's a people thing. People want to congregate with their own kind. People who look and feel like they do. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what people do. You don't have to like that. (laughs) But if you're going to argue with me, show your work. You can start by telling me why is it, why exactly do we require this diversity, equity, and inclusion, this D.I.E. propaganda campaign, if diversity is really part of human nature, or otherwise do we need it because we, we have to have something to counter human nature, a propaganda campaign to change attitudes, hopefully change attitudes, social engineering, social eugenics, because I'm actually right about this. Another something else I'd like to know that maybe is part of your argument Institutional racism. This is what I was talking about earlier. It's evil society. If I could just get rid of the evils of society, then we would be free to flourish as noble savages on our way to utopia. And beyond all of that, even the diversity warriors are tribal for crying out loud. Go check out the uh, diversity, the diversity of thought and the acceptance of different heretical beliefs over there on Twitter. Ask Dave Chappelle what he thinks about it. Tribalism flourishes on the far left in the form of unanimity, cancel culture, silencing blasphemous beliefs. There's intellectual tribalism and there's physical tribalism. Now, there are a lot of people that will go see other cultures, other kinds of people, maybe take a field trip to the ghetto or to another part of the country, maybe even to a whole other country. I've done this. I've hung around with these people. I'm very familiar with these folks. But usually these guys, they almost always go home where they feel like they belong. I've seen this happen over and over and over again. People, when they've had enough, when they've seen enough of the world They decide they want to go be around people that they feel like they belong with, with their tribal family. It's predictable. And yeah, there are exceptions. I'm not talking about the kind that that are are doing this, you know, as a performative exercise. Oh, look at me. I'm hanging around with my black friend. I have a gay friend here. Great. You're working real hard not only to have these friends, but to show them off. To make your point, when people are left at their own devices, they congregate around people who are familiar to them. And it took me a long time. I saw this again. I I, I figured this out informationally. I was talking about information and data uh, back in, in 2014 as far as the tribalization goes. But if it starts there, then it naturally is going to move from, you know, how people look and how people pray to these informational silos, these informational tribes, echo chambers, cohesive narratives. 
tribal narratives. Truth doesn't matter. Doesn't even factor in. It doesn't have to be true. It has to be cohesive. And it has to put the group on the side of righteousness in a battle against evil, preferably an evil <laughs> in its midst. A domestic enemy. People like to attribute this to fascism. Oh, well, there's got to be a domestic... This isn't a fascist thing. This isn't a communist thing. This isn't a... It's a human thing. Where's the saboteur? Where's the enemy, the traitor within? And when people start looking for that, and they've got this narrative, and they've got the, they've got the in-group, and they've got the out-group, and now we've gone so far down this road, so far down this path, that half of the country sees the other half as the domestic enemy, with each existing in their own informational universes. And what are you going to do with that? You can't tell them that you, the truth doesn't matter. Well, you just got to show them the truth. Or, oh, Lord, they're, they're stupid. They're not stupid. These people are not stupid. They found their group. They found their ideological religion, their group religion, their tribal theocracy. They're the good guys. Wash, rinse, repeat. It's been happening for tens, hundreds of thousands of years. I don't know how long. <laughs> 10, 20,000 years at least. Tribal by nature. How are you going to fix that, woke flake? Is that society? Do we just need to get society out of the way? Or do we just need to, you know, start hammering some equity on people? Is that going to, is that going to solve the problem? Or is that going to create, is that going to just going to make it worse? Is that going to cause more, create more animosity and make it worse? Try to force people. Force people to act like they like somebody. Again, I'm not saying anything. I'm not making a statement, you know, a right or wrong statement at all. What I'm saying is it has to be considered. It has to be looked at. If you're actually trying to find the truth of the matter and trying to figure out if there are any solutions, you have to consider this. If you're not considering this, if you're not even willing to look at it, you're not looking for the truth. You're looking to impose your worldview, your philosophy, yeah, your religion, your beliefs on other people. Then what? What is, what is that? It's all over the place, my friends. It's all over the place. Indications of this are everywhere. How do people believe all of this election bullshit? Well, the same way you think that men give birth. The same way you talk yourselves into believing that Leah Thomas belongs on a women's swim team. You can find these, these examples every, on both sides. It doesn't matter which side you're on. You're going to be able to find innumerable examples in the other camp. So where does that leave us? I think I said winter was coming back in 18. And I started saying, winter's here in 2019. <laughs> COVID. Oh, my God. You want to talk about informational anarchy? Yeah, COVID uh, really exposed that. Who do you believe? That's one of the things that happened uh, as the uh, podcast dried up. 
in December, I thought I'd hit kind of a momentum, you know. And Corey and I did that episode. Put it out. I liked it. I put this thing up called um, Cost of Courage. Another one about uh, anti-vax empathy. Like the limits of it. And I I read a comment uh, after I put the YouTube video up. From one of his friends, I think. I don't don't remember what her name was. Uh, But she was just dismayed. She was just like, just out there. She was like, how, who the hell are we supposed to believe? She was legitimately, obviously legitimately concerned about this. Like, she really wanted to know, I don't know who to believe. Or what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to know what to believe? (laughs) It made me, I I had to take a step back. I'm like, you know what? This person really, I think, honestly is trying to figure this out. Annoyed, perplexed, frustrated with this question of how to, who, do, who do I believe? Who do I believe? I got to thinking about, you know, stuff like, uh, again, men giving birth. And then I got to thinking about that Supreme Court justice. She's going through the confirmation hearings and <laughs> somebody asked her what a woman was. I can't really say I have to leave that to the egg. This is a Supreme Court justice. And these are the ones who are, like, following the science. They follow the science. Follow the science. Yeah, you're hearing that. You know, it, it kind of leaves the experts. Experts say it kind of eh, loses a little credibility there. And even Bill Maher, he's talked about this a hundred times. There's not the science on anything. There's just science. It's, it's constantly evolving. It's never always, it's never there. It's always a work in progress. We, we saw that with COVID. We saw that with the vaccines. These vaccines don't prevent COVID. It's a treatment. It's a mitigating shot. So the science is always proving itself wrong or incomplete, inconclusive. That's how people get frustrated. That's how people become susceptible. They get confused. And when people get confused, they will follow anyone who claims to have an answer, claims to have an explanation. When they lose their place in the world, when they lose their kids' place in the world, their kids' future in the world and in the universe, they will follow anyone who will give them a solid, simple, and optimistic, I'm at the center of the universe explanation. People have always done this. This is the crux and the core of religion. People do not function well when they don't know They don't have answers. I don't know doesn't sit well with human beings at all. They demand answers. That's how we get there. You get enough of these people congregated together, you've got a tribe. And eventually you've got somebody who's going to come up with that cohesive narrative, that story, that explanation, that internal enemy. They are the ones who have the key And the map, the sole map to utopia, heaven. I've said a hundred million times, really, it feels that way, (laughs) that the next evolution has nothing to do with thumbs. Maybe losing a vertebrae out of the tailbone. Now, it's going to be an evolution, an expansion in collective, collective self-awareness. Understanding who and what we are, our own limitations, our inability, maybe unwillingness, to perceive the world as it is because of the tools, the defective, corrupted tools of perception, one of which being our mind. 
That's going to be it. Collective self-awareness. It has to be. It has to be. Because we're not going to survive this technology if that doesn't happen. The technology is what's different. People have been the same for thousands of years. We've hardly evolved at all since we left the jungle. What's changed recently, and the reason that we're here now as opposed to where we were when we were kids, when I was a kid in the 80s, wasn't anything like this, is the technology. These are not just phones. This isn't Ma Bell running a line into your house. You can call people. Yeah, you can have voice conversations with people, but these are also global communication devices. You can communicate with any other human being on the planet instantaneously, directly, one-to-one. Think about that for a second. When I was a kid, when I was younger, when I was a young man, that type of communication power, informational power, unheard of. What did we unleash? You talk about chaos, informational chaos, throwing human beings into a state of chaos, existential chaos. And again, I go back to it. When people get confused, when they find themselves in a state of chaos, chaos can be opportunity. Most people don't see it that way. They don't want chaos. They want things orderly. They want an explanation. They want things explained for them in terms that they can understand and in terms that are agreeable. Putting them or their children, whoever, people they care about in a good place on the right side in a battle of good and evil. They don't just want it. They demand it. If you can't give it to them, they're going to go find somebody else who will. Think about the technology. Think about what that's done. Data overload. Swimming in data. I've talked about that a million times. I'm going to talk about it a million more because data overload is drowning in information. The data, information, knowledge, wisdom pyramid that I've talked about, data down here, you're swimming in it. You can't get to information, the information level. There's just too much data to sort through. You can't make any sense out of it. You can't get to the information, let alone knowledge and wisdom. Come on. How? And pretty soon, this is the pathway to empathy that I've talked about a hundred times. The pathway to empathy is pretty soon people just, they, they become overwhelmed. I have all the time in the world. I am the luckiest person I know in that I have all the time in the world to study this stuff, to research it, to analyze, to think about it. Let alone do this. Who, who else has time to do that? But y'all are busy. Y'all have lives, kids, bills, jobs, sometimes two jobs. You don't want to think about this shit when you get home, berating your brain. You're exhausted. You're tired. How are people supposed to navigate this? This is the pathway to empathy. And I go back and forth on this, man. I do. There are days, there are hours, there are minutes where I'll sit here and I'll be like, yeah, I get it. I understand that. Boy, that's got that that's rough. That that yeah, I understand. But it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change where we're going. You can understand it. You can understand how you got cancer. You still got cancer. What are you gonna do about it? I, I go back and forth. I mean, this is this is the uh, I have this this whole piece, and this is gonna be good. Called the, the God Devil parable. <laughs> this is like the good and the bad. Like human beings are. We're split right down the middle. 
good and evil. This is the God-devil parable in religion. People didn't understand you know, how, to, how to really articulate that. <clears throat> so they created this externalized uh, good and evil rather than internalizing it within all of us. But, but that, that, that's, that, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like I really want to be sympathetic and I really want to understand and I really want to, I guess, help. Eh. <laughs> Thumb in the ass again. <laughs> but then it says that there's other days where I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, you see it. You see what's going on and you don't even try. You don't even care, but bag, it's a loop. Exhausted. But if you give in to that, if you surrender to the fact that people are just too tired, they can't lift their brains up anymore, they just got, oh, you're done. You're at the mercy of whatever information you happen to stumble onto that day. Whatever deceptions, whatever deceit you happen to run into, you're at the mercy of it every single day, every minute, every second now. Uh-huh. So what's the answer? What is the answer? I said a couple of years ago, triage mitigation. That has not changed. What has changed, in my head anyway, this is the other thing that really kept me from jumping headfirst back into the podcast in December. Because I had to really think about this. I had, there comes a point in time where the being detached ceases to be an option. I talked about tribalism a little while ago. And the thing that I said about it, I had a problem with it uh, a few years ago because I saw it as a bad thing. I thought I saw it as a terrible thing that we had to get past the tribalism. That's not what the problem was. That's not what the problem here is in this country. Tribalism just is. It's neither good nor bad. If you want to see the positive side of tribalism, uh, go to a battlefield. All right. Uh, look at the military. Go look at a band of brothers kind of thing, kind of a situation. That's a tribe. You telling me that's negative? What do you think solidarity is, hippies? What do you think that is? Solidarity. Tribalism. Tribalism is just everywhere. When you call it a tribe, I guess it creates this, this visceral image in your head, a negative thing. But there, it's, it's all over the place. It is. It's as much of a part of us as our thumbs are, as our nose. It just is. And it took me a really long time, a really long time to come to terms with the fact that it's just, it, it's not something that's going to be eradicated. And I think what I was trying to figure out back in uh, 2014 Maybe in my ignorance, I didn't see it, but that we had long, we have lost our own useful tribalism, where we identify as countrymen, as Americans, before anything else, underneath that flag. Say what you want about it. You can have your own opinion. Whatever. We've lost the cohesion. And I finally figured out how that happened. I started to see this. I started to detect this back in 2019. 2019. 
I was doing the Alul stuff and I just the anti-woke material that was just coming out of me. It was like, whoa, wow. You know, I, I don't like hippies and I am not exactly far left, but wow, I'm having a real, a real reaction to these people. <laughs> it took me back a little bit. And then you're going to love this. You're really going to like this. <clears throat> I did one episode at the end of August of 2019. Threw it up on YouTube. Got three views before YouTube pulled it. Called it hate speech. This is a 2019. Three years ago this month. Three views. So somebody reported the damn thing. Nothing else. Nothing else I ever put up. Got flagged. Has ever gotten flagged. But that one did. Got pulled down. Got taken down off of the platform. That had an effect on me. I don't really know how to explain that. But I felt like I was... Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know how to explain that. But I didn't live in this country anymore. Because nothing I said. I kept all the material. And I, I, I think I've decided. I, I, I've thought about it, I've considered it. And I think I've just decided just now to uh, take that episode... The original episode, and I think I'm going to throw it up on uh, Rumble. I can't put it on YouTube, clearly. But I do have a Rumble channel now. They're the free speech people. So let's see what happens over on Rumble. But what really what the crux of the episode was, was that wokeism is an invasive species. In this country, in this country... Collectivist socialism is an invasive species because it completely goes against the foundational principle of individualism and meritocracy. Equity and meritocracy, <laughs> not equality, this, this shit they call equity. Engineered and forced outcomes, that's what that is, is completely the opposite. It is, it is antithetical to merit meritocracy. Collectivism is completely antithetical to one of the primary foundational tenets of this country anyway, individualism, freedom. The freedom to be who you are beyond your pronouns, <laughs> beyond your sexual preference. Who you are as a human being, what you think, what you say, what you believe. You're not allowed to do that anymore. There is something happening here. There's something going on. It's been going on for a few years. It really kicked into gear with COVID. Remember that graduation ceremony back in 2020, how they had the very woke commencement thing on like five different networks. It was repugnant. It, it stunk to high hell. It smelled to me like one of those uh, uh, halftime shows the NFL puts on. What, I, I forget. the boy. It's not the Boys and Girls Clubs. Whatever it is, like the Thanksgiving Day show. And you've got these engineered, these crafted and choreographed crowds going, yay! There's something just stunk to high hell about it. And then I saw it again when Joe Biden was inaugurated. The same people put that. It's the same exact thing. And then <laughs> I saw it again on the 4th of July this year. It's the diversity, inclusion, equity crowd. D-I-E crowd. Conformity. 
Unanimity. You are not allowed to not believe. That's the sign, maybe the barometer, of whether or not you live in a theocracy. Whether or not you are allowed not to believe in what's trying to become the dominant religion. What's becoming the state religion. Good luck with that. Yeah, go into work next time, you know, the D.I.E. minister comes in and wants to preach and reminds you how much of an oppressor you are. You go ahead and go right in there and argue with them. See if you're allowed to dissent. See if you're allowed not to believe in this religion. That is a sign that you're living in a theocracy. And th- to make no mistake, this is a religion. It is an invasive species, an ideological insurgency. They are attempting to colonize, replace the established religion of individualism, freedom of speech, meritocracy, and replace it with something far, far different. They are attempting to demonize the racial majority. Why? Have you asked yourself why? I mean, we all know that if you look like me, (laughs) you're the one group in the entire world, the one identity group, the one demographic, who is not allowed to advocate for themselves or their children. Well, that's white supremacy. No, it's not white supremacy. It's self-interest. That's it. Advocating for yourself. Self-advocacy. Advocating for your children. Only if you look like this is that a sin. Everywhere else, the oh yeah, woo. And the thing I really can't understand are these people who have sacrificed their own self-interest at the altar of equity. It is an insurgency. Is it going to work? I've been talking about a backlash. I've been talking about, I've just been waiting for just, just wake the hell up. Show me something. Show me, show me where people are starting to push back on this just a little bit. And as usual, toot my own horn here a little bit. I'm ahead of the curve. Not the first time. Started four years ago. Really started screaming about it three years ago. Y'all weren't ready yet. Y'all got ready in the last six months to a year. It's about goddamn time. The first indication this was happening, Bill Maher. Mr. He's still a liberal. He is still, he hasn't moved. As far as I can tell, he has not moved. But he has started to rail. As of January, started to rail on the woke flakes. And it's glorious to behold. It has given me, I wouldn't say hope, but yeah, I feel better. More and more people are waking up to this. And it's not only that. I've had so many conversations with people from different varying backgrounds. Gay people, women, black people, mixed race people, and of course white people. And it's always quietly, you know, it happened again this weekend. And it was a really good example of this, where uh, this person had to sort of tiptoe around how she was feeling about being seen as evil because of the color of her skin. We all grew up, she's a little bit younger than me, not much, but we all grew up 
being taught or trying to learn that colors, skin color doesn't matter. That you want to get past it. You want to see past it. Well, not anymore. Now, if you're white, you're seen as the evil oppressor. That's how more and more and more and more and more people feel. And once they get together and they start talking, there's this little code. You have to kind of feel each other out because you don't want to be called a racist. Oh, that's a racist. You're a racist. You don't want to hear that. That's like being called a communist back in the 1950s. That's exactly what this is. But this is happening all over the place. These people, they're, they're finding each other. And the, the coalitions are ridiculously broad. Like, this is the common thing. It's the only thing that brings these people together. I've had Republicans, uh, evangelicals, Bernie voters. Bernie's not all that woke. I got a story about him. I probably won't get to it today. One of his followers, anyway. But these people, are, they're seeing it. And they're finding each other. They're like, yeah, you're right. God, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you feel that way too, because now I got somebody else that I can talk to about this. I feel like, ha ha ha, here it comes. I found my tribe. Another member of it. That's what I've been waiting for. I have been waiting for more people, more people and more people to show up, to pop their heads out of the sand, not out of the sand, out of the jungle, like, is it safe to come out yet? Can I come out and talk now? Are there others like me? Yeah, there are millions of you. And you're all afraid to say it. You're all afraid to talk about it because you don't want to be called a racist. You know it. You're the only ethnicity, the only demographic group. I know I just said it. I'm going to say it again. You're the only ones who can't advocate for themselves, cannot self-advocate for themselves or their children. You are the only ones. I am here to tell you. And maybe I don't even need to tell you. Maybe you just, maybe you need to hear it though. You're not fucking alone. And it's about goddamn time we started talking. We started having conversations and we started pushing back on this shit. I'm still left to center. I'm, I'm pretty much done exactly what Bill Maher's done. I'm sick and tired of this woke flake shit. This cultural bullshit. I am sick and tired of hearing about pronouns. I'm sick and tired of hearing about four-tenths of one percent of the population and acting like trans activism is the new civil rights movement because of the little gender voice in their fucking head. I'm tired of hearing about it. And I'm tired of being called a racist every fucking time that I question a BLM. Black Lives Matter. Every time somebody looks at their finance, oh, you're just a racist. Every time you call a riot a riot, you're just a racist. Ooh. I spent eight years watching Democrats call everybody who, cons who, who criticized Barack Obama. Spent eight years watching them call, you just don't like black people. A lot of these uh, left-leaning, far-left-leaning pundits, they're getting a little worried. They understand that Fox News is kicking their ass still. After everything, after everything with Trump, everything else, 
They are not making headroads into that that rating. And, and the left-leaning networks, MSNBC, CNN, their ratings are just plummeting. Yeah, Fox News still hanging in there. Because people that look like me, people that look like you, they're not watching MSNBC or CNN. They're going over and they're watching Fox News. And Tucker Carlson, and give him credit, he understands exactly why. He understands how to exploit that. He understands the topics. He understands the feelings. Why people are so angry. Why people are so repulsed by wokeflakeism. He's a broadcast professional, like him, hate him, whatever, doesn't matter. He's making more money than you are. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to exploit that. And that's where he's worth watching. The thing to watch is the topicality. Because you want to understand where the country is going and where the majority of the country is going and what they're upset about, you have to watch what he and two of them, maybe a lesser extent, Hannity, are talking about. Not what they're saying, but what they're talking about. There's a story out of the UK talking about how somebody posted something on Facebook and the cops came and arrested them because it caused somebody anxiety. The composite character that I call Moonbeam the primary inspiration for that character, she told me once that she really wanted to see hate uh, European-style hate speech laws enacted here in this country. And she's exactly who I think of when I think of this. Yes, you should be arrested if you say something like that. <laughs> That's exactly who I think of. Censorship. You know, I was going to talk about Joe Rogan. I was going to talk about Elon Musk and his little uh, attempt at Twitter. Ran too long. I probably will get to it at some point. But what about Dave Chappelle? I mean, this guy, they're, they're at it again with this guy. He's not their Negro, apparently. And it pisses him off. But I can tell you, say what you want. The people who are against free speech are never, ever, ever, in the long run, shown to be the good guys. I have no love for Donald Trump. I've made that crystal fucking clear over the years. I'll have as much fun, well, not probably not as much fun, railing against him as the podcast slowly amps up again, as I will woke flakeism. I have planted my flag. It's a pretty flag. <laughs> Coalitions are weird things. And sometimes when you're fighting a war... <laughs> Is that what this is? Culture war? I guess it's a culture war. You're forced to fight alongside some, some, some strange people, the people that you would normally not ever uh, think that you would be allies with. The things that they were right about have gotten to the point now where it's incredibly apparent where it's going. I wanted to stay away from all of this, advocating and fighting and, you know, I'm on this side or I'm on this side. I'm not on either side. I'm not. Took me a long time to accept that. Took me a long time to really uh, muster up, I guess, the courage. Not only say it, but to think it. To really think it, to really accept it. Even though I saw myself going this way three years ago, to accept that you've chosen, chosen somebody to fight against. I use this analogy, I think, in one of my other shows about when uh, Germany invaded the Soviet Union. 
that it became a choice really between fighting for Stalin or fighting for Hitler if you were, you know, one of the peasants. The German army's coming. You could join the Nazis and fight against the communists. <laughs> what a choice you got, right? But I think it was a lot of these folks chose who they hated more. Who do they want to fight against? Not for. Who do they choose to fight against? This is the choice that we're being left with here. Who do you choose to fight against? I did not have to make this choice. It was made for me. I am the symbol figure being a straight, white, middle-aged man for the oppressor. I am the symbol figure for America's original sin. For white supremacy and sexism, blah, 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 blah. You made the choice for me. Really, I'm kind of shocked it took me this long to accept it. And that really should show you how distasteful the alternative is. But if that's the case, if it's that distasteful, how distasteful are you? So here we are. I think I said at the beginning of the podcast, it had been seven months. And, you know, I feel like I have to repeat this and I have to reiterate it because this has been a really difficult process uh, for me uh, because most of my friends, most of my comrades, most of my uh, political conversation partners and people that I identified with mostly were left of center. Most of the people that I traveled with, most of the people that I got to know in the early travel days, most of the kids that I ran into while bouncing around Latin America, you know, of course, they're liberals. This has been a process. This is not something I undertook lightly. It's not something that I just, you know, for once <laughs> ran into blindly. Again, nobody else is going to toot my horn. I have to do it. <laughs> but I, I predicted I saw the start and the beginnings of the Green Tea Party with Donald Trump. In 2015, 2016, you could see that start. This whole process really started in March of 2017 after I uh, spent some time in Chicago, around Chicago, watched what happened with the inauguration and watched what happened with the rapid radicalization of the left following Donald Trump. They became what Nietzsche talked about. You have to be careful fighting extremism lest you become an extremist. I've really, boy, I've had to run this through so many filters. I have been self-conscious about this, insecure about this decision. I mean, I could feel myself going this direction regardless of how much I didn't want to. <sighs> the antibodies have become worse than the virus itself. This is not new. This isn't new to history. We've seen this before. You're going to hear a lot more about that Joan Didion essay as I continue on, on morality, what our opinions and what we want, what we think we should have. 
become moral imperatives and become something that we think we must have because we are righteous, that becomes the realm of the madman, the tyrant, the cult leader. This is how you get from Indianapolis to Jonestown. No one is more dangerous than the person who's willing to be a tyrant for someone else's own good. That isn't coming from the right these days. Censorship, telling people what they can and cannot say. I gotta say, man, I'm gonna say this one more time. Probably the fifth time I've mentioned it. Actually convincing yourself and expecting other people to believe you when you say that men give birth well, what kind of rhetorical fuckery are you engaged in? The end of gender. <sighs> no. No. Ideological insurgency, indeed. Invasive species in this country, absolutely. There is no question about it. And one thing, one question I did not ask in this podcast, I will be asking as I move forward is if this is an ideological insurgency, if this is an invasive species let loose on this continent, or at least in this country, where was it sent from? We know how it got here. It's a technological and a social media Trojan horse. It was electronically delivered. They didn't have the internet in Troy, but if they did... <laughs> That's what their Trojan horse would have looked like. I'll be asking that question as we move forward, too. Now, this has been a real hard process for, for me, and I, I don't want to talk too much about myself. This has sort of been a, a sort of a self-indulgent ep episode, about half of it, trying to explain myself a little bit, and I do know. I'm well aware that once you start explaining yourself, <laughs> you're doomed. <laughs> Should never do that, but I'm going to do it because I, 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 I kind of want to talk it out a little bit. I think I want to articulate it uh, to, to other people other than <laughs> my, my wife's family. Or some friends that are sick and tired of hearing about it. I think I just wanted to say it to a wider audience. Haven't felt really all that bold about it because I needed to be sure, rock solid, that this is the direction that I want to go. That I'm ready to, to plant that flag and say, hey, this is the plot of ground on which I've chosen to stand. It's not a spontaneous decision. I fought myself most of the way. But here I am anyway. And here you are along with me, a lot of you. <sighs> Looks like this is going to be released on a Tuesday. Tuesday, August the 9th for episode number 111. I do believe that's what this is. I'll have to go back and look for sure. If I screwed that up, I apologize. I think we're going to move these probably to Tuesday. I was thinking I was going to do Monday, but Tuesday might work. Tonzilla Tuesdays. Ah. More housekeeping. Remember, the new podcast is out there, the Escaping the Cave Micropods, hosted over there at Substack. I'll be talking a lot more about them. I've also got the Substack site over there, Tonzilla X. Also, YouTube is Tonzilla X. One thing about that YouTube channel, I have a lot of outtakes. I have an entire 30-minute episode that I uh, recorded about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. I've got all the video from that. It's completely different from this in a lot of ways. I think I'm going to use it. So you're going to see other clips and other things on that YouTube channel that you're probably not going to get in the podcast. A lot of it you will, but there's going to be a lot that you uh, won't. 
TonzillaX.com, that's the old travel website. Interesting stuff over there. EscapingTheCave.com is still up. Go check that out as well. Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.